Hello, welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on Station KALA. Our guest for this 466th show is Dr. Edward Curtis, William M. and Gail M. Platter, Chair of Liberal Arts at Indiana University in Indianapolis. And we're going to be talking about his book, Muslims in the Heartland. Our history buff for today is Ed Broders. Uh, Ed's having some technical difficulties, so we'll hope that we uh, can get him in before the segment's over. But if not, um, we'll just continue on. So one of the things that I uh, that we talked about as we had a little break here was was just... You know, for most people, I think in the Midwest, there's sort of a blind spot here. Um, you know, we aren't aware that that Arabs uh, have been around, that Muslims have been around in in our communities, unless you interact with them directly. Uh, here in the Quad Cities, we have uh, two mosques. We have one in Iowa and one in Illinois, uh, which is uh, very neat, um, but. It is, you know, in general, I don't know that many people I talk to are even aware that, that that population is around, let alone for how long they've been around. So I guess my first question is, why do you think that is? Why do you think that, that as a general population we are so unaware? Is it because the community has assimilated so well that, that we don't even, you know, we're not visually or culturally picking it up? Um, what, what's going on here that, that we seem to have been, I don't want to use the word colorblind, but certainly culture blind, um, for most of, of this time. Well, you put your finger on part of it is that they've assimilated so well that they don't make headlines because, you know, Muslims go to work, love their children, uh, encourage peace and, uh, pray softly just, you know, is, does not fit. Um, the popular narratives that have existed about Muslims, particularly since the 1970s, when um, the OPEC oil crisis and the Iranian Revolution led to a very negative um, overall approach, and it only got worse from there. And, you know, for, for a lot of people wondering, well, you know, these stereotypes got worse, and there have been genuine conflicts of interest between Muslim some Muslim-majority countries in the United States, and then other Muslim-majority countries, of course, part of this that never gets said is that our U.S. allies, like Jordan, Saudi Arabia, you know, et cetera. Right. So it's complicated. But that's what happens is that became such a dominant narrative, and there aren't that many Muslims, right? Only 1% of our population in the United States is Muslim. 2% of the American population is Jewish. So, you know, this is not a huge number. So many people are likely never to have met a Muslim, unless they lived alongside them. So what you're saying in the Quad Cities would not have been as true in Cedar Rapids. I think had you gone around, if you poll people in Cedar Rapids about whether they know about these Muslims, there's a much greater local awareness in Cedar Rapids than there is in the Quad Cities. But I will tell you, you're not unusual. I mean, my in-laws come from Hancock County in Garner. They had never heard about these Muslim populations, you know, and they're from Cedar Falls and Charles City, you know, and that's not that far, really, from Cedar Rapids. So I think it's extremely local. Uh, and then another reason is 
It doesn't, so it doesn't fit the narrative. It's very local. And, and then another reason is that we have forgotten who we are in part because of the desire for unity. And there's a sense that if we recognize all of our ethnic differences, then that's somehow a danger to our unity, especially among white people. You know, and I mean, it's uh, a, this is not an issue for black people. You know, there's black people have have are demanding and have demanded a respect for who they are as black people. But you don't. But in the desire to assimilate, sometimes white ethnic people will underemphasize or 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 will not you know stress that difference. And if they can get along with everybody else and and have success, then why not? You know what's the you know what's the uh, what's the danger? The danger is that we build a society that is unfriendly towards the difference that is part of who we have always been. And if we want to build a state, a society, a town, a community that welcomes difference, then we need to go back to our ancestors and our past and celebrate all of their differences. The Midwest was never a lily white bleached over fly flyover country. It was an incredibly vibrant, ethnically diverse place. And we need to go back and summon our ancestors' voices so that we can build a Midwest that becomes uh, a more harmonious among its many different ethnic groups. Okay, so along those lines, I'll use... Um one of my co-hosts who is who is very proudly Irish and there it's an interesting dynamic because there are still people within his extended family very extended family group for whom being um an Irish national and or being northern Irish are still very contentious issues and we certainly have differences um contentious differences between for Zach, you know, for example, Sunni and Shia. Um, so has the Arab community, the Muslim community also had those sort of intercultural or, or international conflicts, um, in the way that, you know, in, because we're here in the, in the quad cities, we've seen that within German, different variations of, of uh, German immigrants over time here. Has that been an issue or have they been able to sort of, you know, what's happening in the old country is kind of what happens in the old country and we're different. Well, you know, and the, since Arabs are really an ethnic identity, right, that spans from Morocco to Iraq. I mean, it's right. we're talking about 428 million people. So uh, on, you know, living in dozens of countries, a couple dozen plus countries. So, um, you know, you, there's enormous diversity. And unless, you know, unless there were a reason for Moroccans to interact with, you know, Iraqis, they may never have, you know, they, it, it's not that they have conflict, it's that they, that they may never have much to do with one another. It just, you know, if they say they, they settle in the United States. Um, there are various conflicts, um, just like there are in any ethnic community. And those um, conflicts do sometimes reflect uh, conflicts in the, um, you know, in, in the Middle East or in North Africa. Um, for example, 
there could be Christian Muslim tensions, or as you mentioned, there could be Sunni Shia tensions. Now, in Iowa, I think you're going to find very little Sunni Shia tension. There's a lot of Sunni Shia cooperation, not tension, uh, in Iowa. So um, it very much depends on local circumstances as well as as well as um, as what's going on internationally. I think because Muslims in particular, and remember, you know, only 20 to 25 percent of Muslims in the United States are Arab. The the rest are African American and South Asian American, and then and then really in whites and Hispanics as well. Um, you know, because they're such the object of discrimination. There, there is enormous diversity, but they do share. They all share an interest in reducing that, you know, that discrimination. And so, sometimes when you're victimized, you know, it does breed a sense of solidarity, uh, just as it has among many Irish Catholics, you know, um, between both the Republic and Northern Ireland. Yeah, and so that that kind of leads me indirectly into my next question, which is, it seems to me that, that there have to be some lessons here that all of us can learn from the immigrant experiences about how to cooperate, how to find common ground, um, how to, uh, to, to put aside differences. And, and so did you find as you were working on your book, did you, did you see any sort of common, uh, things that we could take away from this and and use to to build that better, more cohesive uh, America that that celebrates its diversity instead of trying to sort of pave it over or pretend it's not there. Well, I I, I will yes, I did. Um, so I will say, and this is just my opinion: as long as we are the um, sole superpower. Uh, in uh, in the world, and it's you know supreme military power. And as long as we continue to um, wage war abroad, uh, I think this will always make certain people vulnerable in our own country. It's very hard for me to. I hate to be pessimistic. It's very hard for me to imagine Muslims having um, true equality in this country as long as we're waging war against Muslim nations or entities abroad. So I think we have to look at the, and this is a very, uh, this is a very long conversation in American history from starts in the late 1800s and goes until today, I think probably before is what, when we wage war against a foreign power entity, what is the consequence for us at home and our own democracy? And then we're not unusual in that way. It's gone, from ancient Greece on, you know, people have been talking about these questions. But we as a community need to talk about that. And then the other thing that we have to that we have to do is um, so much of our of our interethnic conflicts are ultimately um, the product of people scrambling for resources, both cultural power and economic power. And so we need to have continue to have conversations about what it would look like to make sure that um, we um, are we are um, structuring a country where everyone can thrive, because if everyone can't thrive, if everybody doesn't have an equal shot, you necessarily are going to have conflict. And I'm not sure in our national discussions that those are really 
boy, it seems like so many of our national discussions are dominated by other things. And the, these quintessential messages that were taught to me growing up in a Midwestern small town, you know, that this is what America was about. Um, I would just wonder if we could renew our commitment to those lofty ideals and talk more about them with each other. Because we can, if, if, if it's, if diversity is just about um, eating tacos on Tuesday and eating hummus on Wednesday, that is not going to solve our problem. That's a nice thing. I like tacos and I like hummus, but, um, and you can come to my house and I'll make you hummus, but, um, uh, but, and it's nice to share a meal and that's great, but that's not what is causing uh, tensions among us. It's not the fact that we don't like each other's food. It's, it's something where, you know, it's, we don't all have an equal shot and we are very, um, and we are fighting now fighting among each other, um, sometimes with ghosts that aren't even real, uh, instead of figuring out how to live with one another. I think that's a great way to end. That's a very profound statement. We would like to thank our guest for this 466 show, Dr. Edward Curtis, William M. and Gail M. Platter, Chair of Liberal Arts at Indiana University in Indianapolis. We've been talking about his book, Muslims in the Heartland. The history buffs for today's show were Ed Broders. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM, and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALA HD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A radio, all one word, in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at station K-A-L-A, St. Ambrose University.